This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths. I hope you guys are having a great start to your week. How about you, Denise? I am. You know, we're having the shift of seasons, which I think there's all kinds of energy around that. So forward from here. Yes, and as we're recording this, it's almost a full moon and Mercury is fully out of its shadow phase. So we're hopefully heading into lighter energy for the lighter weather of fall. What do you think? Yes, it's interesting that you call it the lighter weather. And in other parts of the country, we say, ooh, it's, <laughs> we're going, it's lighter energy, different weather. <laughs> That's true. I just mean the heaviness of the humidity in summer. True. And and the whole, it was a rough Mercury retrograde for a lot of people. And the shadow for a lot of folks was even stronger than the actual retrograde. It was, it was rugged. Yeah. I've never, I've read a bunch of stuff about that shadow thing and I never have really felt that before, except this one, I definitely did. Yeah. This, this one was very, but we made it through as always. And we're just going to see what comes next with, with an open heart and a curious mind. Yeah. Sounds good, huh? <laughs> it sure does. Well, the topic for today's show is a little bit heavier than that that lighter energy. Uh, I announced briefly on my other podcast, Psychic Teachers, that my mom had passed, and I've been inundated with so many emails and messages and beautiful comments, and I just want to thank everyone for taking time to you know, share your condolences with me. I really appreciate that. I've tried to respond to all of them, but if I haven't gotten to you, know that I am reading each and every one of them and, and I appreciate it. And I thought it would just be interesting to discuss how, how different it is when, when people die in our lives and how some of us, when we get to the other side, are capable of giving us signs and others not so much, and and why that is. Because I think as mediums, Denise, don't you find that a lot of people will come to us and they'll say, gosh, I was so close to my grandmother and I haven't heard a peep from her. And there's some hurt feelings when that happens, right? And yet I think what you and I have come to realize is it doesn't mean, oh, your grandma's in heaven, like dancing and having fun and not thinking of you. It really depends on their personality and how they died and kind of how open they were to this world of spirituality before they pass, all of that, I feel, kind of primes the pump for how well they'll be able to pass on signs. 
I agree. And also where you are in your own grief journey, where you are in the process, can we may want to get a sign so, so badly that we're missing something that might be a little bit more subtle. Oh, that is so true. And if we're heavily grieving, we will put up those those barriers and that can make it incredibly difficult. Exactly. So the process with my mom uh, passing was so quick and yet not quick, if that makes sense. It was it it all felt very, very sudden. And ironically, or maybe not ironically, it did kind of start with a dream. The last week of August, well, let me back up. So people might not know, my father passed away 16 months ago. And never in my wildest dreams did I think I would lose both my parents in such a short amount of time. Right. You know, I we've heard from so many listeners who have lost both parents that quickly. And you think, gosh, that's got to be tough. But I never thought, I well, actually, to be honest, I just thought, my mom would outlive us all, you know, cause she was so strong and feisty. So I just couldn't imagine it. And she did have COPD at the end of her life and was on an oxygen tank. And, you know, we had a caregiver there six days a week and my sister and I were providing all of her meals and, you know, all that caretaking stuff, but uh, I, she was doing fine and mentally was completely all there. And you know, was still enjoying life to the extent that you can with with an oxygen tank. And the last week of August, my youngest daughter, who I always say is way more psychic than, you know, anyone I know, had a dream that my dad was in the back room of my house, which was his favorite room in my home. And he was pacing. And he said to Chloe, I need to go for a drive. I need to talk. I need to think which is exactly what my dad would do when I was growing up. If he was ever worried about something, he'd go, come on, get in the car. Let's go for a drive. And I I never had shared that with my kids. Those are those little minutia of your childhood that you know you don't really talk about. So I thought it was interesting that she mentioned that in the dream. So she says, okay, you know, fine, Papa. So they, they get in the car and they drive. And he said, uh, my kids called my mom, Gigi. And he said, Gigi, they, they tell me that Gigi's getting ready to come over, but they won't tell me when, and I have so much to do to prepare. Oh. And, yeah. And when Chloe told me that dream, I was like, what? Like, Gigi's not going anywhere. She's fine. She's fit as a fiddle. She's pissed off at Kanye for what he's doing in Italy. She's keeping, I mean, she's she was on top of things. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I was just like, what the heck? And that week, that very week, she started sleeping like 15 to 18 hours a day. Like we could not wake her up. Remember that day I told you I had to like go over there and wake her up? Yes. Yes, I do. And there was, we couldn't figure out what was wrong. So we called her doctor and, and the doctor called me back and said, I'm putting in a call for hospice to come do a check. And I was like, hospice? Like, I, I'm still in shock about all of that. You know, you think hospice is like, oh, stage four this or, you know, something really serious. But my mom had been on an oxygen tank for over a year. Uh, blood pressure was fine. We checked her oxygen levels every day. Everything was fine. And the hospice nurse came Labor Day weekend. And after 20 minutes uh, of evaluating, my mom said, okay, I'm approving you for at-home hospice. And boom, they delivered the hospital bed. They delivered all this stuff to our house. And 
we had a CNA coming three times a week to help bathe my mom and all, all these services just overnight. It was just kind of uh, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And then one Saturday, the caregiver was at my mom's house and my mom said, I can't breathe. And the caregiver called 911 and they took my mom to the ER and were my sister and I rushed over there and were sitting in the ER with my mom. And my mom kept saying, I'm dying. I know I'm dying. And I was like, no, you're not. I'm like, mom, you're going to be fine. They just, they're going to put an IV fluid through you. You're going to be fine. And the ER doctor came in and said, you know, hello, Mrs. Owen, you're doing great. Uh, You do have some fluid trapped in your lungs. I think he called it a pulmonary effusion. And he said, so we're going to flush that out and then we can send you home. And I was like, see, mom, you're going to be fine. And I asked him some questions like, well, what's going to happen when when she comes home at night? Because, you know, we have the caregiver there during the day, but I thought, gosh, what if this happens at night? Like, who who should I call? Should I call 911 again? Should I call hospice again? And he said, let me get the hospice people over here, uh, the nurse on call and to talk to you. So she comes into the room a little bit later and Diddy, she goes, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm late getting to you guys. Ironically, I was just with a patient named Mr. Owen. Oh my. And I just thought, okay, dad is, dad is here and he's overseeing this and I'm just going to surrender this process, you know, because what are the odds? It's, mm-hmm. it's not an unusual last name, but it's not a common one. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, she's looking at my mom's stuff and, and she says, I really don't want to send her home. Um, some of these lab results aren't looking great. Let me see if there's a bed uh, across the street at the hospice center. And my sister and I are looking at each other. Like we're, we're still in shock that hospice is even connected to my mom at this point And then not sending her home. We were like, what, what's happening? And she says, uh, she types away, click, clack, click, clack. Oh my gosh, there's one bed available. And it was so fast. Do you ever have when things like that happen and it's just kind of overwhelming? Yes. And this whole time, my mom, I don't know if they had her on morphine at that point or not, but she was, she was not awake and aware as all of this is going on around her. And so the hospice nurse leaves and she says, oh, the transfer people will be here soon. And we're just sitting there you know, not like trying to process all of this. And all of a sudden my mom popped open her eyes and she said, where's Samantha? And I said, mom, I'm I'm here. I'm right here. And I jump up and grabbed her hand. And she said, I love you. I've always loved you. I pray for you every day. And I will watch out for you from the other side. Oh. Yeah. Clear as a bell. Oh, that's beautiful. It, it was so beautiful. And so, of course, I broke down and said all the things I needed to say to her. And as soon as I was done with that, the transfer people came in. The paramedics came in to take her. And it was so funny because, did I tell you this part, how, how the guy was so handsome and the girl was so adorable? No. <laughs> okay. So, of course, my mom pops open her eyes again and goes, you're so handsome. (laughs) (laughs) So they transfer her over to uh, hospice and it was a beautiful room. Have you ever had to deal with that 
situation? I have, and it's when it's done well, it's a very gentle sanctuary kind of an experience. Yeah, I was I was very impressed. My mom had French doors leading out to like an enclosed garden with a porch swing. Like it was it was very, very, very nice. And they were all incredibly lovely to us. And we just sat vigil, you know, that terrible, terrible time where you're just sitting and watching and waiting and and they had her on so much stuff. She really wasn't very conscious most of that day. Um, but the next day we started bringing in the grandkids and stuff to say goodbye to her. And she was very aware of that. She would she would open her eyes. She would wake up. She kept doing that reaching thing. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting. Um, and it was, you know, it was just nice because we were able to say everything we needed to say. I was able to get into a little routine. I, you know, I would say the rosary with her every morning and every night. And I think that brought her a lot of comfort. I know at the end, all she did was pray to mother Mary, like the last six months. That's all she talked about. She'd say the blessed mother. And I talked today. (laughs) So I thought that was a really nice thing to do. Uh, It was funny though, because the hospice doctor said to me one morning, she said, you know, some people live no, she said some people die easy and some people die hard. And I'm going to tell you right now, your mom is going to die hard. Oh. Yeah. She was very, you know, concise, should we say, with her words. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how interesting is that? I wonder if some of us die as we lived. Oh, that's a lot to think about. Do you know what I mean, though? Like if you you know, if I feel like, you know, my mom always made things hard for herself. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, I don't know, I thought, I thought that it was so interesting that she said that. And um, I think the, the hardest part of the, the whole process was on uh, Monday, my sister and I were just doing that vigil and it was so awkward. And we, by the time like 6.30 came around, I was like, we're just like scrolling through the internet. We're checking our email. We're holding mom's hand. And finally I looked at her and I said, I feel like we're just staring at her, waiting for her to die. Like, I hate this. And she said, I do too. And I said, and I'm starving and I haven't seen my daughter all day. So we went to grab a bite to eat and I went home with my daughter and I couldn't sit all week. I don't know. I just haven't been able to sit still. You know, when you're just in that state. Yes. I I mean, my house is so clean right now, Denise. (laughs) So he said, Chloe, let's, let's bake cookies to bring to the hospice nurses. And she was like, okay. So it's like, I don't know, eight thirty nine at this point, we baked our chocolate chip cookies and we're waiting for the last batch to come out. And we're watching the middle on TV. I passed out on the couch, completely fell asleep. And my plan was to make the cookies and go back to the hospice center at like 10 o'clock and just, you know, be there with mom, fell asleep. And I guess, you know, Chloe was like, you need to go to bed and And my mom died that night. Isn't that always the way? Like when you're planning to be there and you're not, and then they go. Right. And I had heard years ago that many people want to pass alone. They want to, they don't want to leave that memory and whether there's validity to that or not. But 
uh, I'm glad that your mom was able to speak with you and share her heart and that you were able to speak your truth and that everyone was able to go and see her. That's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Yeah, it really, it really, really was. And everything just, you know, from there worked out pretty effortlessly. We had a a great person helping us plan the services, you know, all of that worked out. Of course, of course, on the day of my mom's funeral, it was a tropical storm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we thought, well, okay, this is, this is apropos, but, uh, but all of that went really, really well. And um, each, my sisters and I each gave a eulogy. And so, you know, all of that was very, very nice, but, and all the people came to the house, you know, there's all of that. And finally, um, everyone leaves at like 10 o'clock. So it was a long day, long, long day, long night, and everyone's gone. And it's just my sisters and me and, and our families. And Courtney said, mom, you've got to give us a sign. And if anyone can give us a sign that you made it and you're okay, it's you. So you got to give us a sign. And we were talking like, what could the sign be? You know what I mean? Like, like, what could it be? And and here's something weird about the last two months of my mom's life. This bird would come to her back door and just hit it with its beak every day. It got to the point where like the caregiver or Courtney or, or we'd video it because we just couldn't believe it. And, you know, I've heard if a bird flies into the house, that's an old wives tale. Have you ever heard about a bird knocking on the window or the door? I have, yes. Is and that it, also? It, I don't know what the the lore is connected with it, but it's it it's hard not to personify the bird when that happens because it seems like it's a direct, hey, hey, pay attention, I'm right here. Yeah, and it was weird because the whole time this would happen, and it was almost daily, it was like angry, like it was trying to get into the house. Oh. Yeah, it was weird. So um, I said, well why don't we ask her to have a bird, like, you know, just get our attention or knock on our window or door. And she was like, well, I don't know. That's kind of like that kind of upset. I don't know. Let, let me think about that. I'm like, okay. So the next day I am, you know, I'm in bed asleep and my sister texted me. It's like 7.00 AM. And she said, did you do the wordle? And I said, no, not yet. I just woke up. And uh, she said, check it out. And so the, the wordle of the day was Carol, oh. my mom's name. <laughs> That's good. That's a good hit. <laughs> That's a really good side. I was like, mom, look at you. And, and here's the thing we were talking about, like, have you, I, I don't even know how to use Carol in a sentence because you'll say like, oh, we went Christmas caroling, or I love to listen to Christmas carols. But Carol singular, you just, it's not a very common word. True. You know? So I just thought it was so interesting that the very next day we had that. And then my my friend who is very, very religious and just doesn't really talk about what I do for a living and just kind of walks around all the crystals in my home, she came over to bring some food and we're sitting in, or standing in my kitchen and I have this this big uh, window in my kitchen, and I have these uh, red flowers that are growing there. And this hummingbird comes up to the window and hits the window. 
Oh. And I wasn't, I didn't want to say anything in front of my friend to be like, oh, it's a sign. It's a sign. Cause mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to like throw my beliefs in someone, you know what I mean? Right. So I'm just respectful. Yeah. So I'm just listening to her and talking and I'm totally making note of the hummingbird. And she stops and says, Samantha, that hummingbird has paid zero attention to those red flowers. It's just like staring at us in the window. I think it's a sign from your mom. Wow. Yeah. It's big. I know. I was like, like if you had said that or Deb had said that, I'd be like, yeah, I think it is too. And it would still be cool. But the fact that you know, she said it, I don't know, it highlighted it even more. Again, give credit to your mom. She's, she's showing up. Yeah, she really is. And, and so soon. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to, to, you know, talk about those stories because it's only been, it hasn't even been a week, but I wanted to um, talk about those stories because when my dad passed away, we didn't get any of that. And it really bothered me because he and I were so, so close. And I didn't know if it was because he he died with Alzheimer's. And so, that you know, you need time to heal and drop all of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was because we were so close and I couldn't stop crying for, you know, for so long. I didn't know what it was. But it's interesting because my, my dad did not have a psychic bone in his body. And my mom was incredible incredibly psychic. I think I I might have shared this on another show growing up. My mom said there was a bluebird named Petro that she would talk to and she would send Petro to talk to like follow us and check on us at school. And then I'd come home from school and she'd be like, "Oh, Petro told me a boy talked to you today or Petro told me you ordered chocolate milk. I told you too much sugar in that. You got to order the white milk." Like little things. Petro told me you had a quiz today. And I, I thought my mom was magical and I truly believed in this damn bird named Petro for way too long. And finally, when I was in high school, she was like, no, I just kind of know things. I don't mm-hmm. think she ever used the word psychic, but, but anyway, so she always just knew stuff. She always knew stuff about people and, and about us and what was going on in our lives. And I wonder if, if having that natural ability helps you in the afterlife to be able to traverse whatever the wall is between us and the other side. What what do you think? I think yes, but I also have known really, really psychic people who have taken a long time to come through. So I wonder if it is uh, maybe, and this is kind of a random, but because you were all able to, she she left having spoken her truth and telling you that she loved you. And she heard that you all loved her and there was time to, uh, it, it wasn't, a, whereas with your dad, you, you didn't have that same gift. I wonder if there's anything to that. I don't know. I don't know either. And that is, that is interesting to think about if she had maybe been thinking about this for a long time, because there were months and months and she'd say, Samantha, you're psychic. Am I dying? When am I going to die? Mm-hmm. And she'd say the, the blessed mother says I'm not dying this year. Is that true? She was always focused on that. And I'd say, mom, why are you afraid to die? Right. And she'd say, cause I, I don't know what's waiting for me. I don't know if there's anything waiting for me. And, you know, I would tell her stories of what I had learned through doing readings 
I, I would share books with her, visions, trips in crowded rooms, for example. And still she was like, I don't know. There was always that little nugget of doubt, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people face that at the end of their life, don't you? Very much so, yes. And it's, I think when someone has a devout religious practice, when those doubts come in, that it adds a whole other layer to it. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. So something else that really surprised me through this process, you know, I work for myself, so that that's, I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, my sister doesn't. I didn't know that um, most companies only give you three to four, some give five days for bereavement when you lose a parent. But there's no law stipulating that any company has to give you time off when when you lose a family member. Did you know that? Yes, because I was working with when both of my parents passed and uh, I got five days, I got a week. Well, five days of a work week. Which you're right, you're not you're not ready. It's too much, but it's it that's our culture and society here in the states anyway. Yeah, that's just sad. Mm-hmm. Because we both know grief isn't a one and done. No, no, it is a many layered process. So I wonder if that is true. It's got to be just true in America, right? Because I feel like other cultures handle death so much better. Not as clinical. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I know that you know just in the historical part, in a very 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 short time historically, we've gone from doing a wake in the front room and family coming to visit to what it's become very clinical and and in a historical perspective, that's very very quickly. So what fifty years maybe a little bit longer when they used to keep the family members at home and they would, you know, do all that stuff. So we, we've just changed things so much that, and there's a, a woman that I'm going to uh, do a bonus episode with coming up next month, who is a grief counselor. And we've talked about this a lot. And she's talked about, you know, we need to normalize the process of passing as just another aspect of, of being alive. And yet, no one wants to talk about it. I talked about it with my mom a lot this summer. And I would say, you know, is there like one of the things I was tasked with doing this week was choosing the outfit she'd be buried in. Mm -hmm. And I had asked her, what do you want to be buried in? And she was like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And, you know, as I was standing in her closet, I was thinking, oh, mom, like, if you had just told me, I wouldn't be agonizing over this decision right now, you know? And it's like, and I, the, the mortuary director was like, what kind of music do you want? And I was like, I, I don't know. I mean, I know she liked Ave Maria, but I, I don't know. Because we just never talked about it. But it's, I, it's also that, that I think the shock of losing someone close to us, we, many of us, we, we blank out. I'm sure as time goes by, you'll say, oh my gosh, she loved that that type of music or I, it, it comes back. But in the moment, it's really, really hard to pull all that together. And I know that there's a, a friend of mine, her, her mom lived well into her 90s and she very, very, very Catholic, very Catholic woman. 
and she had it scripted. She wanted it, which priest she wanted, what snack she wanted, what she, I mean, the whole thing. And she, that was very, very important to her. And I think when you can hand that list over to someone and say, no, not those snacks, these snacks, and I want it in this rectory and I want it. I mean, I, there's, there's some peace to that. There really is. And we need to do it because Otherwise, you know, your, your kids or your, or your partner is left making all of these decisions. And it's, it's kind of frightening. Cause you're like, well, would they like that? Would they not like that? I don't know. I do think that she would have liked the coffin we chose. It's called mm-hmm. champagne gold and it's lined in cashmere. <laughs> oh my. So I felt very good about that, but yeah, all of those things you have to, you have to think about. Uh, my dad hadn't really given us a lot of instruction, but he had written most of his obituary. Mm-hmm. And that was very helpful. But all of those things, you know, you do need to think about and you do need to talk about. And I and- wonder if it's, I just wonder like why so many people, I'm not afraid to talk about it with my kids. Like I've told them exactly what I want mm-hmm. um, and and where I want to be and all of that. Um you know, and I think, I think they know all the different, we talked about the music. I'm like, what do you, and actually when I asked them, they know me so well, they were like, oh, well, I would do this, this and that. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. But I wonder if people don't want to talk about it because they fear death or they fear lose, like leaving the people or if they're afraid of upsetting their kids. I don't know. I think all of the above. I think there is a, a, a very deep fear rather than, as, as I mentioned a minute ago, rather than seeing it as a process of life that we'll all come to, we all get this. We all have the experience one way or another. And I do think there is, but how is and we're just looking at the culture of the, of the U S again, the obsession, the absolute ridiculous obsession with stay as young as possible. Don't age. Don't look your age. Don't act. I mean, there's, it has to go hand in hand a little bit, I would think. Yeah. Rather than a reverence for, you know, the, the ancient, the old wisdom or becoming the crone or, you know, check with your grandfather. He knows all he's done this for so many years. We've lost that respect for our elderly or our, our, Yes, it is. It's our elders. It's the people who stepped before us out of this ridiculous fear of, um, I have to look younger, act younger, be younger. Yeah. That's just my opinion. I don't know if there's a correlation or not. I definitely think there's a correlation to that. I think there's also this weird inability to contemplate death. Like I'm still walking around. I drive past my mom's house every day. It's on my way to every, she lived right down the road from me. So I have to pass it. And, and I drive past it and I'm like, I can't believe she's not in there. Yeah. You know? And, and it, and then I'm like, that's so stupid. You knew this was coming one day, but there's something in our brain. I think that doesn't really allow us to contemplate the finality of it all. Mm -hmm. And I think, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, a dear friend said this to me years ago, many, many years ago. And she said, when you lose both your parents, you go into this stage of feeling a bit like an orphan. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. But there is because you've become the elder. 
you've there's there's not a generation above you anymore. Oh yeah, we're right at the top of the line. Yeah, and that changes perspective and understanding and and I, I did for me anyway. I don't know if it does for everyone, but there is a you're right. When you drive by or you'll see a, the same kind of car she always drive, go by and do a double take like, oh, my God, I think she just drove by me. I, I think that there's something in our brain that is trying to help us process. I remember when my mom's mom died, my mom would still call her like she'd come home from something and she'd dial the phone and then she'd go, oh, she's gone. It was mm-hmm. like she she would forget. Yeah. And then the grief would start all over for her. And that was that was really, really hard. I think I'm more practical about the grief, but it's interesting listening to other people telling me what to do. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like some people are surprised that I'm working this week. I did take a week off and then mm-hmm. I went right back. And then other people are like, you need to take way more time off. And it's like, well, you know, what am I going to do? Sit around and and be sad? I'd, I'd rather work and focus on the grief. Does that, you know what I mean? Oh, like, Well, there's, I think that there can be a comfort in the structure and the familiarity of a day that you're, 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 you're going back into your routines so that so you can function, so you can work through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we still have to close out her house and all of that stuff. And so that's going to, you know, we've started that a little bit. Um, all my, all my, my older sister was home too with all the grandkids and niece, you know, so that was whole family and we went through a bunch of stuff and that's, you know, it's a lot and that's going to be a process. And I think that's a good time to grieve too, but to, you know, you read these books or you see these movies where they take like a year off to live in their mom's house and get mm-hmm. rid of it. And I'm like, first of all, who has the damn luxury for that? Right. Mm-hmm. And True. secondly, I don't know that I want to focus on it day in and day out for a year. I'd rather work and, and then fill that, you know, spend my weekends doing that. I don't know. But, but you just made a really, really important point, Samantha, is that how you grieve is an individual choice that no one else gets a vote on. So you and and your two sisters are probably processing this in different ways. You all mm-hmm. grew up together. You have the same parent. You had the same experience. But I, I think that's another whole part of we've we've drifted into this world of you. You have to do it this way in order to actually. And that doesn't make sense to me because someone else may need to completely step away from the situation and and become a little bit more hermetic or someone else may need to um volunteer every spare minute to help it doesn't not i don't know i just don't think one is right or wrong it's just so individual to the grief process yeah i agree and i think we have to respect how how each person chooses to grieve yes you know um i think that's that's crucial the other thing I've learned, not just from this experience, but from other difficult times in my life, is how important it is to show up. You know, mm-hmm. like when I was growing up, my parents were very private people, very private people. 
and they each had like one or two friends. And, you know, my mom was involved in bridge and my dad was involved in AA, but we weren't like the open door house with parties and what, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I just didn't see my mom like bringing meals to neighbors. I didn't see her writing cards. I didn't, I didn't see my parents showing up for other people. And so when it, when I became an adult and things would happen, I remember thinking like, should I show up? Am I close enough to that person to show up? Do you ever have thoughts like that? Like if, if someone's going through a difficult time or their parents in the hospital, do you ever think like, are they going to think it's weird if I show up or, mm-hmm. or have I hit that threshold of friendship where it's expected that I show up or right. I don't know. And when my, when my former husband was shot in the line of duty, that was the first time I learned, holy shit, how important it is to show up because I couldn't have gotten through that without acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, like, you know, in addition to my close friends showing up that, that meant everything to me. When I was going through breast cancer, my kids' teachers did so much for me, meal trains and, you know, in addition to my friends and my neighbors, and it was amazing. So, and then with my dad passing and now my mom passing and just people sending beautiful cards and emails and flowers and and just letting you know that they're thinking of you and, and showing up to the funeral or to the service after, like all of that all of that matters so much more than, than the little kid in me ever thought it did. Yes. That's all so, so, so very heartfelt and important. Yeah. And so if, if anyone takes anything from this rambling I've done on this episode, <laughs> I think a lot of us empaths are walking that line uh, where we're either total introverts or sometimes introverts. I think there's a shyness that's inherent in being an empath because we're such good observers and we're such good thinkers and sometimes overthinkers. And so it's taken me a long time to realize, don't overthink it, don't analyze it, don't question it. If someone's in need, just show up. However that looks to you. It could be a meal, it could be a card, it could be you know, offering to babysit their kids so they can focus on other things, anything that, that resonates for you. It's really important to show up. And, and when all the dust has settled, at least for me, I remember everyone who showed up. I really do. And it, it, it just means a lot. Right. And I think we do need to address people who may not have that support that you, if you can ask for help or please find some way to take care of yourself if you're not feeling that support in your community or with your family, because that's another whole aspect of grieving and getting through traumatic situations. And I think that please know that you're all in our heart and our prayers with that as well. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's so important to, you know, try to stay connected so that when you have those difficult times, you, you do have that, that support around you. And I think the more we are able to show up for other people, it all, it's a boomerang. It all comes back around. Yes. You know? And and you made a really good point, even though that wasn't modeled for you growing up, you made a conscious choice to say, I'm going to step a little bit out of my comfort zone and make sure that I do show up, that I do bring the meal or send the card or, or check in and see how someone's doing. And I think this goes back to finding a way that 
it fits for you, what's in your comfort zone. And it may be everything counts. You're right. Everything counts, no matter what you choose to do to help support someone else. Yeah, it really does. And I never really, I don't know, I always would second guess that. I remember my my sister, when she owned a restaurant, she had this wonderful waitress and we all just loved her. She just made everybody laugh. She was young. She was 25. And she passed away in a car accident. And I wasn't friends with her. I didn't go out with her. I didn't talk on the phone with her. I just loved seeing her when I went to the restaurant. And and I knew Michelle would make me smile and make me feel great. And uh, I was in my 20s. I was right around her age. And she passed. And the funeral was like an hour away. And I remember saying to Courtney, am I stupid for like taking a day off work and going, is her mom going to look at me and be like, who the hell are you? Mm-hmm. And uh, she was like, no, 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 you you loved her too. And and so we all went and I wrote a little card for the mom. And I just remember the mom hugging us all. And I remember her saying, for the rest of my life, I will look back on this and I will remember everyone who showed up for Michelle. Oh. You know, and like that, I was so, I was so young then. I was just out of school. And I remember thinking, oh. But it, it took me a long time to to really learn that. I didn't know it in my teens. I didn't know it in college for sure. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very important point. It, it's, you're right. Show up. Share your heart. Treat people the way you wish they'd treat you when you're going through a hard situation. Yeah, totally. But also, conversely, like we were saying before, people who didn't show up for me during those times, I don't judge them. Do you know what I mean? I'm not like, Oh, you weren't there. Like I'm still friends with those people. Um, because I understand some people can't handle that stuff, you know? Exactly. That's so, so, so important. I'm glad you brought that up because we don't, we're we're seeing it all through our own filter Mm -hmm. of, of what's right, what's wrong, how to grieve. So it's not, you have to grieve this way, or you have to show up for me this way, but it is more, if it's, we don't know someone else's story and they may, they may just not know what to say or do. They just might not know. Yeah. And I don't think we should ever take that personally because a lot of people don't know how to handle those difficult situations. There's not a, a structure in place for some of those things. Like with the funeral, I do think there is a bit of a structure. You send a card, you send flowers, you bring a casserole over, whatever, you know, But for some of the other stuff that happens in our life that's unexpected and out of the blue, there's not a manual for that. And some people just don't handle it well. And that's and that's okay too. And I don't think anyone should feel hurt by the people who didn't show up for them. I mean, I think this is is a really beautiful, beautiful episode, especially since you've shared openly over the years that you know, you, you, there was some tumultuous stuff with you and your mom and the fact that she's showing up with signs that you ended things on a beautiful note that she, she's, she's has the, the, the champagne casket with the, I mean, that is all that's healing. That's love. That's presence. So even if it's something that might've been difficult, it's never too late to switch it into coming back to a place of love. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not all roses and no. puppies, you know. I I think that when you have a difficult relationship with a parent, 
this is how I feel anyway. I feel like I've been grieving her my whole life. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like grieving what could have been, what should have been. And so when this ultimate finality happened, it, it didn't hit me as hard as my dad's death because it was like, oh, yeah, this is what I've been grieving. It just felt normal. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. It felt what I've been feeling for a long time. Because I think when you don't have that close relationship with your mother, how many times have I said this, Denise? It's like walking around as an amputee. You can still get around, but there's something missing. Mm -hmm. There's something missing when you don't have that unconditional love from a, from a mom. And, you know, did I get it at the end? I don't know. Maybe. Did she try? She definitely did. Did that mean everything to me? A hundred percent. Does it make all those other years go away? No. Right. But, you know, I'm stubborn. I'm not a forgiving <laughs> person. <laughs> but I do love her dearly. I do I do wish that and pray and hope that she continues to give us signs so that I know she's with my dad and with her mom and, and her twin sister who passed away years ago. I'm so happy they're together again. She's there with her big brother. It's only her older sister that remains. Mm -hmm. And my mom died on her birthday. On the older sister's birthday? Yes. Wow. I know. So the whole family waited a day to tell her because, you know. That happens a lot. Does close, it? Yeah, that's close true. Close to birthdays. And often people will try to wait. They're, they'll like they'll wait for, I've seen, I've heard this countless, countless times doing readings that people will say, oh, my son's birthday was the fifth, but my dad passed at, you know, 1201 on the sixth, like the next day, just mm -hmm. so it wouldn't be that birthday. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening to, like I said, my, my rambling. It is a process. I feel like I've just started the, the difficult process of kind of unwrapping the tangled web of grief, but I am so happy that she and I had that beautiful, beautiful ending and that and that she's already been able to give us signs that she did make it, that she is on the other side. Because, you know, how many times if I joke, she would probably stay around and haunt us just because, you know, she was kind of nosy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I know people are listening to this going, man, this co-host is such a cold bee. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, there's nothing cold. It's, it's you're, just how you're, I grieve. Yes. But I do know that she has made it to the other side. And God, that is just so wonderful. I Some of our favorite shows we've done are our signs from the other side that listeners have sent us. And I've gotten my own signs from, you know, like my mother-in-law or my friend George. But but to have a sign from your mom, there's, I don't know, there's something way more uh, deeply rich, riching about that. I don't know what it is, but it, it felt, it just felt almost like a miracle, you know, like she's okay. And she's already over there trying to let us know she's okay. It's, it's a great help in the grief process. So I do hope everyone is able to get that sign. Sometimes we can't still haven't gotten my sign from my dad. I'm going to tell my mom to make him give me a, the sign. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys so much for listening. And again, thank you for your, all your lovely emails. 
Um, and we hope you guys have a wonderful week. Anything yes. you want to add? No, no. I, I th and thank you for, for sharing this with, with everyone because it's not easy to go through the grieving process and you just shared all of this with such dignity and grace and love. So thank you. Oh, I hope so. Well, what do they say? A grief shared is a grief halved. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to talk about it. And I know listeners have followed my tumultuous journey <laughs> with my mom through many, many episodes. And I've been fearing her passing for so long because I thought I would feel way worse, you know, and I feel incredibly sad, but I think we were able to heal and prevent a lot of the guilt um, I thought I would feel, if that yes. makes sense. It makes so perfect sense. It's just wonderful to be able to have that, that small sense of closure, you know, that I knew who she was and she knew who I was at the end. And, and that's, and that's a gift. And I think we should all strive you know, towards having some type of closure. I don't, I don't know. Forget that I said that. I hate that word closure. <laughs> Do you hate that word? I hate that word. I, I think it's a loaded word. It's a loaded word. Yeah. But, but some type of um, joy on the end of, of a difficult path. Oh, that's nice. Okay. We'll end on that. All right. Yes. <laughs> Thanks guys so much. As always, please remember to show up, do great work and share your light. Take care.